Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. We have, uh, the, two weeks ago, whenever I last preached, we started in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we're talking about seeking the Lord, seeking the presence of God. And this is a, a biblical principle found all throughout the Bible in the Old and the New Testament, that if you seek God, if you seek him with all your heart, that there are certain benefits and certain promises that God attaches to that action. And it's benefits and promises for us. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing uh, to seek the Lord because, I, I don't know, I guess it just really pleases his heart because he seems very eager to pour out his blessings whenever we seek him. And so uh, last time, if you were here, we talked about how when we seek the Lord, there is, anybody remember? Come on, peace. There is peace in the land. We talked about a uh, king, which the book of First and Second Chronicles is a. It's actually a history book of multiple kings and rulers of Israel and Judah uh, back in ancient times, and it kind of follows their life a little bit and their rulership and their reign. Uh, it tells about some of the cultural events that happened, some uh, talked about society, talked about economics, talks about war and uh, military and, and all these things. It's a history. It's a retelling of actual historical events. And of course, it all reflects back to Jesus. And so I love being able to go back to these moments where we can read about these, these people that either succeeded or failed in serving God, and we are able to extract things from those stories that will help us to learn and help us to grow and educate ourselves and, and know the heart of God more. And so in Second Chronicles chapters 14 through 20, it talks about two different men, a man by the name of Asa, he was the king of Judah, and then his son, Jehoshaphat, which we'll be talking about here in a couple of weeks, but... Today we're going to stay on King Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 15. We're going to start in verse 1. We're just going to read through this whole chapter right here. It's only 19 verses, so it's not real long. Uh, so let's just go ahead and read that as we get started this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Now, I do have to stop right here. I know we're one verse in. You're like, come on, Sam, you can do better than that. But we got to stop right here because if you remember from chapter 14, King Asa had just taken his army, the army of Judah, into battle. You remember they were attacked by a one million man army and 300 chariots. I still don't know why they included the 300 chariots whenever you have a, a million people. But anyways, they were attacked by over a million people. And as this army was marching in towards Judah, King Asa, he positioned his troops to, to be in defense of Judah. And then Asa went into the presence of God and he prayed. He said, God, only you can help the helpless. If you want to read back through that this week, I invite you to do that. It's a wonderful story. He says, only you can help the helpless. Only you can win this battle. And we know what happens. God just displays his mighty power. And the kingdom of uh, Ethiopia, or the, the army of Ethiopia was pushed back. God destroyed them. And then the army of Judah was able to follow after them and collect all of the plunder. And so that's what happened. They, they followed them all the way to a place called Gerar. They collected all this plunder. And then the armies of Judah, they're like, hey, let's just go ahead and attack our other enemies while we're over here in the area. You know, while I'm gone, is there anything else you need? Sure, go ahead and knock out that enemy. Okay, we'll do that. And so they go ahead and they attack their enemies all around, and now they have returning to Jerusalem. They're returning after defeating their enemies in spectacular, miraculous fashion, and after gathering up all this plunder, they're walking back into Jerusalem, and that's where this story picks up. It says, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. He was a prophet. And he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from the battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. That's a good promise. Wow, wow. Whenever you seek him, someone say seek him. 
you will find him. But, there's a word of warning, if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God. The prophet's still speaking here. He's saying, for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them, and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him out, they found him. Wow, I love this. This is so good. During those dark times, it was not safe to travel. Problems troubled the people of every land. Nation fought against nation and city against city, for God was troubling them with every kind of problem. The prophet goes on to say this, but as for you, be strong and courageous, for your work will be rewarded. And when Asa heard this message from Azariah the prophet, he took courage. Look at the person on your left and say, take courage. Look at the person on your right and say, I will. He took courage and removed all the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin. And in the towns he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which stood in front of the entry room of the Lord's temple. Then Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with, now look to the person on your right and say, along with the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them. For many from Israel had moved to Judah during Asa's reign. Why? When they saw that the Lord his God was with him. The people gathered at Jerusalem in late spring during the 15th year of Asa's reign. On that day, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had taken in battle. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, no big deal. Whether young or old, man or woman, they shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring and ram's horn sounding. And all in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they had entered into it with all their heart. They earnestly sought after God, and they found him. And the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. And then the story takes a personal turn. It says, King Asa even deposed his grandmother, Ma'achah, from her position as queen mother because she had made an obscene Asherah pole. He cut down her obscene pole, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. <laughs> Take that, Grandma. Wow. Seems kind of rude, but... <laughs> Although the pagan shrines were not removed from Israel... Asa's heart remained completely faithful throughout his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the various items that he and his father had dedicated. So there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. I don't know if you caught that or did the math, but it's talking about in the 15th year the people gathered. And there was no more war until the 35th year. That's 20 years. And... It may not seem like such a big deal, but back in this time, they literally had seasons of war, like baseball season. Every spring, baseball season starts. Well, there, in this climate, this cultural climate they that they lived in, every spring was war season. Like, they took off during the winter, and I guess, you know, had uh, all of their winter training, and, you know, they were selecting their all-star pitchers and, and spearmen and all this kind of stuff, and then they had war in the spring. So it was crazy unusual for a kingdom to go 20 years without war, but we see how much God blessed them with peace when they sought him, when they sought him. But today, I want to talk about a different benefit of seeking the Lord, and that is whenever you seek the Lord, there will be strength in the land. Some will say strength, strength in the land. I really like this King Asa. He's a, a pretty, pretty good example. 
of how we should follow God. And if you come the next time I preach, we're going to talk about how he kind of wavered in that and in the later parts of his life became not an excellent example. But while he was seeking God, we see the benefits of God all over his life and all over his kingdom. And I really love what we're going to talk about today, that whenever we seek God, there is strength in the land. So point number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Seeking the Lord strengthens me. Some will say strengthens me. I love this because Asa and the army of Judah, they had just gone out and kicked butt and took names against the Ethiopian army, and they had gathered all the plunder, and now they're going back to Jerusalem, the capital city there in Judah. And as they're coming back into the city, they're met by a prophet named Azariah. Have any of y'all ever heard of Azariah? He's not a well-known prophet in the Bible. We don't have the book of Azariah like we do, you know, the book of Jeremiah or the book of Habakkuk or, you know, the, the book of Isaiah. He wasn't a well-known prophet at that time, but he's meeting them. He's meeting the king of Judah who is at this moment the most powerful man in the world because they had just defeated a one-million-man army. And King Asa is traveling back into town. You can imagine if you had just experienced such an incredible victory, you probably wouldn't be coming back into town like, oh, my back. You might be kind of sore from the battle, sure, but you're probably not going to come back with your head down low. If you had just accomplished something that incredible, of course, with the Lord's help, they did. But I would imagine my chest would be out a little bit, and my chin would be up a little bit, and I would come with a little bit of a strut back into Jerusalem. And I can imagine that this is probably what was going on. Ace is coming back in. All of his soldiers are there with him carrying all of this plunder. They're celebrating. They're laughing. They're cheering. We have the Super Bowl coming up next week. My team's not in it. God bless the Cowboys. They, I don't know. It might be a while before they're in it. But if my Cowboys were in the Super Bowl and they won, I would be with my, my chest would be out. My chin would be up. I'd probably call Jim Davenport and let him know who won, right? Go Cowboys. How about them boys? Yeah. I can imagine that that's the way they were coming into Jerusalem at the time. They were excited. They were joyful. I can imagine the soldiers are singing the praises of their king as they're riding back in. And as they come into the capital city, there's this man named Azariah, not even a well-known prophet. He comes up to him and he says, hey, listen, King Asa, listen to me. Armies of Judah, listen to me. I got your attention? Good. This is what God says to you. If you stay with him, he will stay with you. And if you continue to seek him, you will find him. But listen, Asa, if you abandon God, he will abandon you. Listen, do you remember King Asa? Back in our history, whenever Israel, they would get messed up in their sin, and they would be lost, and there was no one to teach them the right ways, and they'd be oppressed by their enemies, but when they sought God, they found him. Do you remember that, Asa? Do you remember reading about our people from long ago? Every time they sought God, they found him. Listen, Asa, I need you to hear this. You cannot stop seeking God just because you won one battle. You have to continue to seek God. This was a, a, a good word that, Ace, or that uh, Azariah gave to King Asa. It was a good, I can imagine if, if a prophet came up and gave me this kind of word, I would be happy about it. But it was also a word of warning. He's saying this, listen, I know you just won a battle. And I also know that it's human nature to get puffed up in pride and with ego whenever something great happens. And to think that just because God was 
for you right now that he's always going to fight your battles and you won't have to do anything. I know you think that because I know that's human nature. But Asa, please listen. Do not stop seeking God. And I love this example that Asa left us here in 2 Chronicles 15. Because it says, when he heard the word that the prophet Azariah was giving him, it says he took courage. He took courage. Now, this word took courage, or English words took courage, comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, I can't remember if I wrote it down or not. Yeah, I did. Shazak. Shazak. Kind of fun to say. Shazak. And that word means to be made strong or strength restored. So imagine it. King Asa, he's strutting back into town, his chest out, his head up high, his soldiers are singing his praises. The, the whole kingdom is just erupting with applause for this king that just led his troops against a one million man army. They were outnumbered almost two to one, by the way, and they not only prevailed, but they were dominating their enemies. And they're coming back into town. You could imagine that there was already some, some strength, at least some human strength there, coming back with a, a vigor. And then Azariah speaks the word to him, and it says that Asa's strength was restored. See, this is good, church, because I think a lot of us Christians will miss this. If God does something incredible or miraculous in your life, that's amazing. But he has so much more, so much more. And if all you ever do is feed on that one moment, you are going to miss out on the other things that God wants to do. Listen, our God is limitless. Limitless. So why would we limit ourselves to seeking him only when we need him? Ooh. This is, this is Azariah's word to Asa. He's saying this. Listen, King Asa. You need God just as much right now in your victory as you did yesterday when the battle was beginning. You need him just as much in your victory as you do in the battle. Keep seeking God. And Asa heard those words. He accepted those words. And the Bible tells us that he took courage or his strength was restored to him. That's incredible. That's incredible. See, here's this biblical principle found all throughout the Bible that if you seek God, you will find him, and he will give you strength. He will give you strength. Check this out. The psalmist, he knew the secret in Psalm chapter 121, verse 1 and 2. He says this, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? <laughs> no. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where my help comes from. That's where my help comes from. My help doesn't come in military strength. My help comes from the Lord. Psalm 18, verse 1 says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength, not my popularity, not my influence that I have over other people. You, God, are my strength. Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, Moses, he understood this principle. He said, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. It's beautiful. Habakkuk 3, verse 19, the prophet, he knew this, this uh, secret as well. He said, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And we see the, the dream interpreter, Daniel, he understood this biblical principle. In Daniel chapter uh, 10, verse 19, the, an angel comes to Daniel, and the angel says this. He says, don't be afraid, for you are very precious to God. Peace. Be encouraged, be strong. And then Daniel tells us, as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger. And I said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. Listen, this is a biblical principle found all throughout the Bible that when we seek the Lord, we will find him and he will renew our strength. Asa understood it. The people all throughout the Bible understood it, and I think it would do us some good too if we understood this principle as well. Listen, church, it is vitally important to be strengthened by the word of God. 
vitally important. And I want to I wanna show you a little illustration here. I've got a little homemade pendulum here. And I've got a, a really tall foam dude back here. And he does not look happy right now. And he shouldn't be. Right? Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever studied any type of science in school. I'm sure you have. But there is a certain law whenever it comes to the pendulum that if you are to release the pendulum from whatever point you release it, it will not swing. And I know Brother Arnie, he knows all this. He's got that engineering mind there. The pendulum will not swing higher than the point at which it was let go. So if I, if I bring this bowling ball all the way up to our man here and I just let it go, it's not going to hit him. Because the bowling ball will never swing back to a point higher than which it was let go, right? We understand that. And Azariah, this is the word that he's saying to Asa. He's saying, Asa, I understand that you had victory then, but you need to understand that you have to continue to seek the Lord because that is where your strength comes from. That is where your strength comes from. Asa, if you are just relying and depending on your own self is much like this pendulum right here on your own weight with your own abilities you will never come back higher than the point at which you let go but what happens with the pendulum if you give it a little bit of outside force anybody have any ideas you can start it at the same exact point as I did a, moment, a minute ago, but watch whenever I give it a little bit of force, watch what happens. It goes back a little bit further, and our boy is in a little bit of trouble now and a lot of pain. See, here's the thing, church. We have to not depend on our own strength. We've got to go to the outside forces of our strength and get that strength from God. Only whenever we gather our strength from God will we be able to knock down the enemy that stands in our way. Listen, this is a biblical principle that if we would seek God, if we would seek him, you will find him. That's a promise. And he will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. Whenever I um, went to Bible college, I knew that God was calling me into full-time ministry, which is why I went to Bible college. But at the time that he called me, I didn't know where or what it would look like. I thought I had an idea, but I wasn't sure. But about two and a half years into Bible college, I really, I, there was a moment that I had in prayer, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say it, I want you to go back to Calvary Tabernacle. When you graduate, I want you to go back to Calvary Tabernacle. And that is literally all that I felt him say. And so I, I knew that it was him. It was one of those moments whenever God speaks to you and you just know that it's him. You don't have to go and ask for confirmation because it's just like, you just know it was God. That's what happened with me. I just knew it was God. Well, here's the thing. My wife and I, we, we moved back home, and I knew God was calling me here, but I also didn't want to do anything on my own strength because he had been speaking to me. He had been leading me throughout Bible college, and I mean, it was, it was a wild ride, y'all. It was wild. But in those moments in Bible college, I just really felt God grasping on my heart. And I, I just felt him say, I want you to go back to Calvary, and I want you to wait on me. And so we moved back home after school, after we graduated. My wife and I, we moved back home. And months had gone by after we had moved home, and, and I didn't know what to do. I was just like, God, I, all I know to do is pray. I spent a lot of time in my room, crying, praying, studying the word, fasting. And then one day, out of the blue, our associate pastor at the time, he gives me a call and says, hey, I want to meet up with you. So I met him for lunch, and he said, the board of directors met last night, and they want you to come and be our children's pastor. I said, well, let me think about it. But in my heart, I was like, yeah! 
Five months later. Like, I knew it, God. I knew you said that. I knew it. I never doubted you. I kind of did a little bit, but I never doubted. Come on. I knew you could do it. Now, here's the thing. Whenever I started, man, I was fired up. I was ready to go. I had been seeking the Lord. I had been praying. I had been fasting. I had been preparing for five months, and everything was, was going great, and I was excited. But you know what happens, right? Excitement wears off. And I come to find out that there's a lot of difficult situations that come up in ministry. And that is why I believe, as we all should, that we should spend more time than we are praying for our pastor. Because there are a lot of things that come up in ministry that, that we will never see that he deals with in private. And listen to me, church, I, I can tell you from, from experience, not on the scale that he has, but from experience I can tell you that ministry is hard. It's difficult. And here's what I've learned is that in that moment, those five months that I was waiting, I knew that God had called me here, but he kept me five months waiting, 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 because he knew that there were going to be difficult times coming up ahead, and if I waited on him in that season and I stood on his word in that season, then whenever those other difficult times would come up, then I would remind myself, no, I know that God has called me here. I know that it was the hand of God that brought me back. I know that he's the one that placed me here. No man did it. I didn't do it. No, it, it was God that brought me here. And in those moments of difficulty, I'll be very honest, open, transparent with you. There have been many times where I just wanted to throw in the towel and say, I'm, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. This is hard, God. They didn't teach me this at Bible school. I didn't know I was going to go through this. But because I knew he had called me here, I was able to have enough strength to stay in the difficult times. See, here's the thing. We need to draw our strength from God's word. Because if we go into any situation of our life, I promise you it's going to get difficult. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, I have told you all this, Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, we are going to face difficult times. And if your foundation is on anything else than the word of God, you're probably going to quit. We need to be strengthened by the word of God. Here's this point number two. Someone say point number two. So point number one is seeking the Lord strengthens me. Point number two is seeking the Lord strengthens us. It strengthens us. I love this in verse 9 and 10 of, of Second Chronicles 15. It says, Asa called together all the people of Judah and Benjamin, along with the people of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, who had settled among them. For many from Israel had moved to Judah during Asa's reign when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. I want you to know, this is incredible. Asa makes it a point in his personal life to seek God. And in doing so, he removes all of the foreign idols, all of the, the Asherah poles. He, he, he chops up all of the shrines and, and pagan altars. He, he gets rid of all of that so that the people in his kingdom wouldn't be distracted with all the other false gods around them, but they would be able to more clearly just focus their attention on the true God. This is what Asa did, but I want you to notice what the people did. It says they started seeing Asa and noticing, hey, something's a little bit different with this guy. Like, it's almost as if God is with him. Everywhere he goes and everything he touches seems to be blessed. Let's move down to Judah where he's at because then maybe we'll be blessed too. And they move from all of these other places Israel and Judah, they had split off, almost like a civil war. They had split off, and so Asa is the king of Judah. And people from Israel, God's chosen people, the other half of them, they start seeing, oh, they're blessed down there. God is with them in Judah. Let's go down there too. And so they travel from the north and come down to the south 
because God's blessing is there. And whenever they get there, the Bible tells us that they all gathered together in the 15th year of King Asa's reign, and what did they start doing? They started worshiping. It says they sacrificed 700 cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats. Now, their worship back then looked a lot different than ours does today. Thank you, Jesus, that I do not have to kill a goat or a lamb every other day to atone for my sins. Listen, church, we, we really don't understand how good we've got it, how good and available God has made himself to us. But the people gathered together there, and they worshiped together. And then they entered into a covenant together. The story switches from just talking about Asa, and it starts talking about the people. Asa, we know, sought God, but now we are seeing the people start seeking God. Asa had made an example for them, but now the people are saying, hey, Asa is seeking God, and he's being blessed. Let's seek God, too. And so they start to seek God, too. Have you ever been to a church and you saw someone else worshiping, and maybe you came in with a hot head or a bad attitude? You woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, your kids were just especially aggravating and you come to church, and you're already in a bad mood, and you've only been up for a couple hours. And then you see someone over here, and they, they're, they're worshiping, just totally abandoned to God. And you see the, the worship leaders up here on the stage. And, and I, I want you to know, too, whenever they're up here, they're not just trying to get you to lift your hands and worship. They are up here just worshiping from their heart. And I love it because whenever you see that, there's just something inside of you. You're like, man, I want that, too. I want that, too. It's contagious. We know all about contagious things these days. Worship is a little contagious too. If you get around someone who is a worshiper, you start spending time with them, you start talking to them, you're going to want to start worshiping more too. I don't know what it is about seeking God, but it's contagious. If you don't believe me, then I invite you to come to, to youth camp with us this year. Whenever we take our students to youth camp, because it never fails, never fails. We have worship every Wednesday night down there in the youth room. And it never fails. There's always those couple of students that as we're worshiping, they're just standing there. And they'll sing the word. They'll kind of mouth the words. But it's like the only moment in their life where they've ever not moved a muscle <laughs> is during this time of worship. You know, they're just standing there. And, you know, we're, we're, we're singing, we're playing our instruments, and we're worshiping. And, you know, I, as the youth pastor, you know, I'll just kind of look up, and I'll just see him standing there. And I'm like, come on, man, just move. You get a little bit of a sway. You know, I mean, l at least do this, you know. Like, come on, something. Like, you know, blink if you're not dead, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Here at Calvary, we believe that worship is an outward expression of our love for Jesus, because that's what the Bible tells us it is. Worship was never meant to be just in your heart. It comes from your heart, but it comes out of your heart, and it manifests itself in an expression in your body. That's what worship is. You never read about it in the Bible, worship, where someone was just standing there. And so I, I teach the, you know, I teach this in youth, and, you know, I encourage them, but, but there's always that one or two students that they'll just, and then we go to camp. And they get around 1,500 other students their age. And the worship team starts to play. And Monday, day one of camp, there they are. And I'll be praising, worshiping, you know, and I'm, I've, you know, we have several of them, so I've got to keep my eye on them. And I'll look over, and they'll just be standing there. I'm like, all right, I wonder if this is going to take two or three days. Day two comes around. This is what happens. Day three comes around. Day four, the last night of camp comes around. You Jesus, oh, you're so good. You've been so good to me. I'm so good. 
outside. They just start pouring out their heart to God. Tears are flowing, snots dripping down, staining the carpet at their feet. Their hands are just lifted up. They're like totally abandoned to God. Like, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I'm just going to worship God. It's beautiful. And every year I'm like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. You see how good, you, you see how freeing that feels? And I'm like, why don't you do that back home? Well, I mean, I know. It's because worship is contagious. There's just something about it. Whenever you get around other believers with a like mind, their, their, their love and their passion for glorifying God, it just kind of spills over on you, and you just can't help but want to worship him yourself. Every year we see it. We see it in the, book of, uh, in, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, starting in verse 32. It says, all the believers, someone say all of them. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt, someone say they, they felt, each one of them felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There, listen, they worshiped so much and was so much abandoned, and took what they had, and they sold it, and they gave all that they had into the church to the point that it says there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses, they would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now listen, I understand that it is the spirit of the Lord putting this on their hearts to do that. I understand that. But we see even a little bit later on, Ananias and Sapphira, they did the same thing. But it wasn't just because God told them to. It was because, oh, this is what we're doing. This is what it looks like to worship. This is what it looks like to praise. Now, we, we understand the story. They didn't give fully. And we see what happens to them. But there's something contagious about worshiping God. Whenever we seek God, he strengthens us. As the body of believers, we become united in heart and mind. We become united and strengthened. So let me ask you this question. If you have not actively been seeking God lately, if you have felt your spiritual life is just a desert and there's nothing going on on the inside, then can I ask you this question? Who do you spend the most amount of time around? Are you teaming up with fellow believers that are passionately pursuing and seeking the heart of God? Because chances are, if you're not, it's probably because you haven't surrounded yourself with people who are. Because whenever, I mean, listen, there's a reason why God created, he created two institutions, marriage and the church, because he knew that we were not, I mean, he made us, he created us to not live alone. We need other people around us. Why? Because I'm going to get weak, and you're going to be strong, and I'm going to need you. And then there's going to be moments where you're going to be weak, and I'm going to be strong, and you're going to need me. That's the way he created us, and it's beautiful, and I love it. I love the church so much. Listen, Emily and I, we would not be here today if it were not for the church here surrounding us, helping us in our times of weakness, in the times that we were in just dire, desperate need. Our church has been there to pray for us, to support us, to call us and encourage us. That's what we need, church. That's what we need. Whenever we seek the Lord together, the Lord strengthens us. And here's point number three. This is the last one. Seeking the Lord strengthens our unity. Strengthens our unity. If you see a church that isn't very unified, it's probably because the church hasn't been seeking God. But whenever we, as a body of believers, come together and seek the Lord, he will strengthen our unity. I want you to notice this. Whenever the people from Judah, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Simeon, whenever all these people came together, and started seeking the Lord, the Bible tells us that they were united in worship. They were united in worship. Not only that, but they were united in covenant. They were united in covenant. Not only that, but they were united in joy. Y'all ready for this? This is going to be good. 
when we seek the Lord together, unity is going to come naturally. Come on. Because whenever we're of one mind and one heart, seeking the Lord together, we're not going to have to just try to sort out our differences. It's just going to come naturally. Because God is a unifier. And when we seek him, this is a, a promise from his word. They were united in worship. I want you to understand, they were so, <laughs> this is funny, they're so united in this covenant that they're like, hey, listen, uh, let's make a covenant together, all of us, everyone here today, all of us, they were all gathered in Jerusalem, the 15th year of King Asa's reign. All the people were there at that same moment. And they said this, listen, let's all make a covenant to seek the Lord together. And if there's anybody here that refuses to seek the Lord, we'll kill him. <laughs> I was reading this and I was like, that's kind of messed up. Like, I don't know, like, is that a good example? Like, should we do that at Calvary? I don't know. Like, what, what would that, that, that would fix it. <laughs> They've been, the Calvary Tabernacle's been unified like never before. Like, listen, they were so unified when they began seeking the Lord. They said this, listen, let's make a covenant. And the terms of the covenant are this, if you refuse, we're going to kill you. And I read, I'm like, God, that, that, just, that just cannot be right. Like, why would it be a law in a kingdom? Imagine this. Imagine President Biden putting out this announcement that he's going to address the nation tonight from the Oval Office sitting at the Resolute Desk, 6 o'clock, and we all turn on our TVs, and we watch. And just imagine him saying, okay, from now on in the United States of America, every person here, whether a citizen or a foreigner, every person here will seek God. And if you refuse, you will be put to death. Can you imagine? We're talking about instant civil war, instantly. No, no thoughts about it, right? And I remember reading this, and I'm thinking, God, that, that is not, that doesn't sound good. I mean, honestly, like, I've got loved ones that are unbelievers. I would not want them being put to death for refusing to see God. Like, something sounds strange about this, but then I got looking into it. I want you to notice, it never says King Asa made a decree. It said they entered into a covenant together. It says all in Judah entered into this covenant. They put that punishment there to hold each other accountable. But listen to this. It, it goes on to say this. Uh, they were unified. Let's see here. Uh, let me go back. It says in verse 15, all in Judah. Someone say all. All in Judah were happy about this covenant. For they entered into it with all their hearts, all of them. They were happy to say, hey, let's, get, let's make this covenant, and if you refuse, you die. All of them were like, okay, yeah, sign me up. This is good. Now, if there was a covenant like that, I'd probably be like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not going to agree. I'm probably going to exclude myself from that covenant right there. I'm not going to, listen, a covenant at that time is, is, is almost like a contract. Now, it's different than a contract because a contract can be voided if, if someone doesn't hold up to their end. But a covenant in the Bible, the Bible tells us that God is the God of covenant. It's a lot deeper than a contract. I wish I had, I, I so wish I had time to go into that because it's beautiful, but we don't. But here's the thing. They entered into a covenant. In other words, it's an agreement. A covenant cannot be entered into if all the parties don't agree, but all of them did. Because they were seeking the Lord, and in seeking the Lord, they all became so unified. They're saying, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do, and we are happy to do it. Wow. Wow. We're talking about unity like our country has never seen. I, I love early American history. I, I, if you go in my office, you'll see some things up on my wall I have of early American history. I don't know. I love it. I'm fascinated by it. My wife and I went to Boston on our honeymoon to, to go tour all of these places where our country started beginning. And then we went to Philadelphia several years later just because we wanted to, to see more of it. And I love early American history. And I love especially 
reading about the founding fathers and, and how they gathered together and, and they started writing up the documents that would govern our country. I love it. It's fascinating to me. Did you know? This is a, this is a really great story. They met together for weeks and they could not come to any agreement on how our country should be run. All 13 colonies sent delegates to Philadelphia. They, they gathered together and they said, hey, listen, this is our proposal. And this, this state over here said, no, this is our proposal. And this colony over here said, no, this is our proposal. And they could not agree. And things were terrible. There was discord everywhere. People were starting to not like each other. People were like, hey, I'm going back home and we're not coming back. You can count our colony out. And then Ben Franklin gets up. And he's one of the founders that, that they say was one of the least religious founders, one of the, the least God-fearing founders. He gets up and he says this, listen, he was kind of the, the head of the, the uh, proceedings there. He said, listen, we're not going to leave here until we spend some time seeking God. And so they all took several days off and all of them went together to church and they heard this message from the pastor and they all gathered back together in the Hall of Congress there in Philadelphia. And as they, before they started, they said, well, let's pray before we start. The prayer lasted almost three hours. This is, this is history. This isn't just some made-up story. You can look this up. It is historical fact. And one of the founders, I don't remember which one it was. Forgive me. I have it written down in my office somewhere. But he wrote home to his wife. Oh, it was uh, John Adams. Wrote home to his wife. Abigail, and he said, I have never seen prayer quite like this. People were, were in the floor sobbing, pouring out their hearts to God. It wasn't just a, oh, our heavenly Father, thou art gracious and mighty. We come before thee with humble hearts. No, it wasn't like that. This was a prayer where, where these, these, what would become the founding fathers of our nation are in the floor crying, pouring out their heart to God. Guess what? Less than three days later, they had written up the documents that would govern our country to this day. Come on, church. There's something about seeking God. Whenever we seek God together, we become so unified. I don't know if you know this, but our, our, our documents that govern our country are the longest-lasting documents that have ever ruled any country in the history of the earth, so far as we know it. <laughs> any country, no country has had the same form of government as the United States of America for as long as we have. Because whenever we seek God, we become united. But imagine if not just our leaders sought God, but everyone sought God. What if we as the people of God say, hey, listen, let's come into covenant together that we are going to seek God. We can do it without the death penalty part, but let's make a covenant that we here at Calvary Tabernacle are going to seek God. And what does that look like? This is what I want to challenge you with this week. Reach out to someone your church and say, hey, let's agree to seek God together. Let's just agree. And we, we don't even have to put an agenda on it like, hey, this is, this is what we're going to pray for right now. And this is what we're gonna, like, let's just start by reading the word together. Like, let's meet up and go get dinner or go get coffee and, and bring your Bible and, and, and you can share with me what, what God has been speaking to you and I'll share with you what God has been speaking to me. There's a lot of great ways you can do this. You can start a Bible, reading app, a Bible reading plan on the Bible app with someone and hold each other accountable. <coughs> Jody Johnson. <coughs> Sorry, we're in a Bible reading plan. <laughs> we're, we're in a Bible reading plan. <laughs> and uh, someone's behind a couple days. Anyways, sorry. Hold each other accountable. <laughs> She's like, you're dead. You're gone. See ya. <laughs> But start, start something with someone. Listen, create a text group or a call group and say, hey, every Tuesday night, we're going we're gonna to have a little conference call, just the, the three of us, and we're going to talk about what God has been speaking to us this week. But do something to join with another person here today. Say, hey, let's seek God together. 
Because whenever we see God together, not only are we, not only am I strengthened, not only are we strengthened, but we will also be strengthened in unity. That's good stuff. I love the word of God. It's so good. This is the last verse, and we're going to pray and close. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Can we do that, church? Can we agree to seek God together, to encourage one another and build one another up? Because I promise, not I, but God promises that when we do, we will find him. I, I love it. And I, I'm sorry. I know I said we're going to pray. Just one more second. I love this. In verse 15, it says, All in Judah were happy about this covenant, for they entered into it with all their heart. They earnestly sought after God, and they found him. What would it look like if we together found the living God? I can only imagine what it might have looked like. It says for 20 more years, their enemies didn't even mess with them. They're like, oh, there's no, we, Judah, heck no, we're not going to attack them. Something's going on over there. It must have been such a spectacle that even their enemies were like, hey, we, we can't mess with them because that the God is there. They, like, they found the God of the world. He's, he's there. They found him. And church, I know that we can do that too. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that this word would become so rooted in our hearts that we would be a people that earnestly seek after you in everything we do. God, we love you. We give you all the praise. And we say, come and have your way, Lord, and help us to know how to search you out and find you, just genuinely find you, find your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you so much, church. Remember Pastor Billy and Sister Peggy, as uh, you go throughout your day, please pray for them. Give them a call. Let them know you missed them. Love you so much, and we'll see you Wednesday night.